Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the first episode of the Funds Europe podcast in which we navigate the European investment funds landscape. I'm Nick Fitzpatrick, group editor and co-publisher of Funds Europe, and joining me are editorial director Benjamin David and journalists Lareb Shahid and Piasi Mitra. How are you all today? I'm well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to uh, this first episode. I'm very well, thanks, Nick, and this is Lareb. Hi, Nick. Piasi here. All good. Thanks. Great. So this is a very special episode of the Funds Europe podcast as it's our first one. Navigating the European investment funds at Landscape, the Funds Europe podcast will be released every month and feature an exclusive interview with a thought leader in the industry and, of course, a roundup of some of the most important stories from Funds Europe. As it's our first episode, we thought we'd cover something actually non-European, funnily enough, but something significant nonetheless. India, particularly the ETF market in India, is the subject of an article in our most recent magazine for April, so we're going to dwell on that. Investment sentiment towards India has been steadily improving over the past few years, as many commentators have documented in Funds Europe and our sister publication, Funds Global Asia, with various policy initiatives and reforms by the Indian government. For example, the government has launched the Make It in India campaign, the Digital India programme and the Startup India initiative to attract foreign investments, promote manufacturing and to generally support the growth of startups. Other initiatives have emerged to promote investments in India, such as creating special economic zones, tax incentives for investors and generally facilitating foreign direct investments. Exchange traded funds or ETFs have been gaining popularity in India. It's a trend that's expected to continue, with equity ETFs not surprisingly being the most popular choice, but also gold. Gold ETFs that expose investors to the price of gold without the investor having to buy or store it. The Indian ETF market has performed well in recent years. According to a report by the Association of Mutual Funds in India, there's been a significant increase in ETF market share from 11.2% in February 2022 to 13.2% in February this year. Additionally, many ETFs have outperformed their benchmarks with some equity ETFs delivering returns of over 50% in 2020. Against this backdrop, Piasi, you had the opportunity recently to speak to Anil Galani, Senior Vice President of DSP Mutual Fund in India. Yes, I was given insights into the Indian funds and asset management industry and why some say it has an edge over other emerging markets. We also discussed what it means for ETF investments that India became the first country to activate the trade plus one day or T plus one settlement cycle entirely across equity capital market. Excellent. I'm looking forward to listening to that interview in a few moments. However, before we get to that, let's begin with a roundup of some of the most important news stories that we've spotted. Uh, Benjamin, to begin with, you've got news that the Article 9 label, often in focus these days um, under the SFDR regulations, it's said that it could be scrapped, right? Exactly, yes. So the European Commission is believed to be scrutinising the future of the label after criticisms have continuously been raised about the regulation and how it categorises funds. Now, according to the Financial Times, discussions are ongoing between EU officials and the industry about scrapping the label altogether. 
Now, the nature of the SFDR means the Commission cannot rewrite this legislation, but can propose an amendment after the EU's parliamentary elections next year. Now, introduced in 2022, the SFDR was designed for asset managers to better present their strategies to investors with sustainability in mind. However, the SFDR and how funds are classified under it has come under mounting criticism from across Europe. Now, in February, the European Fund and Asset Management Association criticised the European Securities and Markets Authority for a lack of guidance on how firms should name their funds. Great. Thank you, Benjamin. Um, Lorraine, you've got a story about UBS and Credit Suisse. Yes, the takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS, which is creating one of the largest asset managers in Europe, is under investigation by authorities in Switzerland. In March, UBS confirmed it was moving to buy Credit Suisse, creating a combined asset management under a unit with 1.5 trillion euros in assets under management. Now, the $3.25 billion deal is being scrutinized by Switzerland's federal prosecutor. According to a statement from the authorities, there are numerous aspects of events around Credit Suisse that require investigation. The deal was pursued following the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S., which raised the alarm throughout the global banking sector. Credit Suisse's shares were impacted by this collapse, falling 33% at one point, and Swiss Central Bank had to provide a 50 billion Swiss franc lifeline. The acquisition by UBS has already received the backing of the Swiss Federal Department of Finance, Swiss Supervisory Authority FINMA, and the Swiss National Bank. The deal has not been popular, with UBS all but confirming job losses will follow as it pursues an $8 billion reduction in annual costs by 2027. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, Piasi, tell us about the top 10 responsible investment brands. Yes, Nick. The top 10 firms in the 2023 Responsible Investment Brand Index, RIBI, continue to be European asset managers, according to the fifth edition of the global survey. The research said these brands had solidified their position as avant-gardists, those with above average rankings. The top-ranked firm for 2023 is Candriam, followed by DPAM, AXA Investment Managers, and Mirova. Impact's Asset Management, Ecofee, Investissements, Schroders, Amundi, Robeco, and CPR Asset Management make up the remaining spots, respectively. European firms held the top 10 spots in last year's research, and their base has since grown. Last year, these top 10 firms represented 24% of the industry. This has crept up to 28%. As a region, Europex UK firms have an average RIBI score of 2.12, which had also increased from 2022 when this was 1.84. The latest score is well above the world average score of just below 1.9. As a region, the UK has lagged with an average score of 2.11. This has also increased from 1.72 in 2022, closing the gap with Europe. North America is the biggest laggard as a region with an average score of below 1.7. Well, thanks very much, Piasi. So sticking with you and also returning to ETFs, tell us then more about the conversation you had with the Indian ETF provider, DSP Mutual Fund. Yes, Anil Ghilani, head of passive investments and products of DSP Mutual Fund, sat with me to discuss topics, including telling funds Europe that for Europeans interested in investing in India, whether they should pick small, large, or mid-cap ETFs. So, here it is. Hello and namaste, Anil. Welcome to the first episode of the Funds Europe podcast. How are you doing? 
Namaste, all well. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be a part of your podcast today. That's so good to hear. So the first question, projections indicate that emerging markets are set to outperform developed markets in this decade. What do you think gives the Indian funds and asset management industry an edge over other emerging markets? I would say that in the last about two years or so, the stability of many emerging markets have come into question. I'll take example of, let's say, Russia or Sri Lanka to maybe Pakistan, where we have seen investors have suffered losses due to geopolitical or due to an economic fallout. Well, in certain other geographies, there is an instability or certain narrowness of sectors that are available to invest, which can limit the investor choices. One other big country in the segment is, of course, China. But there are certain regulatory changes that have taken place recently, which have led investors to ask certain very critical questions, which become more important when you look at dollar-denominated returns of the broad headline indices of China and compared with India, where if we see uh, from the turn of the 21st century, it's approximately 13 years, China's Shanghai Composite index has delivered around 2.9% CAGR returns in dollar terms, whereas India's Nifty 50 index has delivered about 9.5% CAGR in dollar terms. Now, during this period, Chinese economy has grown at the fastest pace that any country has achieved in modern history. And it has also received much larger amount around $1.4 trillion of portfolio investments versus India has received around $330 billion of portfolio investments. So with this backdrop, I feel that emerging markets and within that India is said to have a good performance in this decade. Now, specifically to Indian market, I feel that the Indian market complex is a little bit broad with no single sub-industry group representing more than about 25% of the listed market cap. And Indian asset managers are exposed to a more stable regulatory environment and a financial system which is more robust. Other than this, big differentiator is the earnings growth trajectory of Indian businesses. So we have seen a good double-digit earnings growth over the last two decades in India, which many other emerging markets have failed to do. So with this background, I feel that Indian asset managers and the overall Indian industry will have an edge over the emerging markets. The figures definitely look interesting. Thanks, Anil. Your company, DSP Investment Managers, offers India-focused investment funds to European as well as other global clients through a Dublin-based usage company and Mauritius-based hedge fund. Tell us more about this category. Very interesting point. So today for us, uh, we are a India domiciled asset management company and we have a vehicle in, in Dublin, which is a usage vehicle. And uh, this vehicle is very different as in Today, around 95% of India-dedicated funds launched for global investors are allocating money in large cap as a category, while this, our DSP's fund in the usage platform, aims to provide exposure to the relatively untapped opportunity, which is the mid and small cap space of Indian equities. Now, in this category, typically speaking, stocks are relatively under-researched and under-owned which can give a much better potential for alpha generation or outperforming the broad benchmark as compared to what we would see in the large cap. But yes, of course, for investing in mid and small caps, we need a very good and robust on-ground connect with the companies. Hence, a research team based on-site here in India is very precious. 
and we at DSP have built a team. We have a track record of around 25 years. So we believe this is a better solution by allocating money to mid and small caps for global investors. Now there is another opportunity which is based in Mauritius through hedge fund, which is a long and short fund. Uh, now India has a superior track record, but very high volatility, and we have high dispersion both in stocks as well as sectors. Hence, though over a long period of time, Indian market returns seem very lucrative, but there is a very big potential for generating further alpha and value from going short on certain sectors as well as stocks. So, in this strategy, we have a uncorrelated sector neutral strategy where we have a one core long, core short, and relative value component. This is open for all European investors as well as many other global investors other than US investors. Thank you so much, Anil. Uh, so moving on, India recently created stock market history by becoming the first country to activate the Trade Plus One Day or T Plus One settlement cycle entirely across equity capital markets. How do you think this will impact ETF investments in particular? Very great point and very close to heart because I feel very proud when I talk about this topic. No other country in the world today has this T plus one settlement for the entire equity capital markets. Certain countries have started that in some small segments, but India has become the world's first country to have the entire equity capital markets completely activated for T plus one settlement, including all the equity ETFs listed in India. Today, if you look at all markets in the euro, as well as other large markets like US and Japan, they are all still following T plus two settlement cycle. Now, since Indian equities and the ETFs have T plus one cycle, assume if you are an investor based in Europe and you are looking to invest in the Indian equities or Indian equity ETFs, you will have increased operational efficiency. What I mean by that is if suppose you are selling your ETF, within T plus one, you will be getting your remittance and there will be a faster settlement process of your entire trade. So from the perspective of the overall ETF ecosystem, not just for you as an investor, but for the other elements, let's say the market makers and authorized participants, their cycle also is going to get settled fast. So this reduces the cash flow or the margin requirements when they are placing the two-way codes and offering you liquidity on the exchange. Thereby, it lowers their cost of capital and hence naturally the spreads at which the ETFs are traded or quoted will be much more finer. So net-net, as an investor, it's very usually beneficial. As a systemic risk, it reduces the risk because the settlement cycle has been shortened to only T plus one day basis instead of in many other places T plus two. So systemic risk or what we call as the after the trade and pre-settlement risk has also shortened to T plus one. So overall for the ETF ecosystem, reduced margins, better efficiency and reduced systemic risks, thereby overall cost of transition and ease and convenience of the transition will be very much increased. That's amazing. So for Europeans interested in investing in India, which one would you recommend? Small, large or mid-cap ETFs and why? Well, uh, to invest in India, I strongly feel that we have a very different market whereby we still have a potential for generating alpha, but more so in the mid and small cap space. So if you are a European investor looking to invest through ETFs in India, I would strongly recommend to go for only large cap ETFs. Because in Indian equity markets, in the large cap space, the potential for generating alpha has become increasingly difficult. And this is proven by very robust data of active fund managers who over the last 
five to seven years as compared to the decade before that have been finding it more challenging to outperform the index. So if you want to do allocation to India through ETFs, I would strongly suggest to go for only large cap ETFs. And if you want to explore more potential of the Indian markets and take exposure to mid and small caps, I would strongly suggest that should be taken via active funds. Thank you. So moving on, effective May 1st, Indian regulator, the Securities and Exchange Board of India or SEBI has mandated that trades below approximately 3 million euros will be routed through the exchanges and not directly with the manager. How do you think this will impact ETF investments? This has been a very, very prudent move by our local securities market regulator SEBI. Now, if we see most global markets, let's say in Europe or US, Japan, for ETFs, only the authorized participants and market makers can come directly to the asset manager for creation of unit or redemption of baskets or units. All other investors, even if you're a very large uh, HNI or family office or you're a large institutional client, you have to compulsorily trade only on the stock exchanges where the APN market maker will be providing you liquidity and two-way codes. In India, there was a, there is a slight different perspective whereby even a uh, HNI or family office or institutional investor with a certain threshold of investment can come directly to the investment manager. And this threshold currently depends on the basket size of the underlying index. So in certain indices, let's say Bellwether Index of India, one can come to as low as Euro 100,000, uh, means uh, uh, very small amount, you can take it directly to the investment manager and avoid the entire stock exchange route. So this, what it does is that it makes the AUM or the size of the ETFs grow comfortably, but it does not give larger amount of liquidity on the exchanges. However, now amongst one of the many positive changes done recently by the regulator, from 1st May 2023, all trades below Euro 3 million approximate number, what you mentioned in Indian rupee now, it's a round figure. 25 crore Indian rupees, currently translated to around Euro 3 million. This amount of trades, if you want to buy an ETF under Euro 3 million, you have to compulsorily go only on the stock exchange and you cannot come directly to the manager. So this will ensure a more healthy liquidity of the ETFs on the stock exchanges. So once this new threshold comes into the picture, we will land up seeing more market makers participating because they are seeing more volumes. We will see a healthy uh, bid and offer spreads because as the volume increases and more competitors come in in terms of market makers being active, automatically the spreads will get narrowed. So we believe that starting from this May 1st, 2023, we will see increased level of liquidity, reduced level of spreads on the stock exchanges for all ETFs of India uh, going forward. Anil, thank you so much for joining me on the Fund Zero podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Piyasi. It's great to be with you. Uh, Funds uh, Europe always does very interesting and good stories. I've been following you guys since a long time and I wish you all the best for your podcast. Great, Piyasi. Thanks. Really interesting interview with Anil. I enjoyed the fact that Anil pointed out that political, regulatory and financial stability, coupled with a wider sectoral exposure, gives the Indian funds and asset management and industry an edge over other emerging economies, or so it's said. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. So I also um, the I like the point on the India-China growth debate. Now, regardless of uh, 
China's fast-paced growth and more portfolio investment, the Shanghai Composite Index delivered roughly 2.9% uh, CAGR in dollar terms. It's pretty fascinating, whereas the Nifty 50 Index in India has delivered 9.5% uh, CAGR over the last decade. For me, the biggest highlight is the Trade Plus One settlement cycle India recently activated, while the USA, Europe and Japan are still following the Trade Plus Two settlement cycle. This has become a win-win for market makers and investors with reduced cash flow and margin requirements, reduced systemic risk, more liquidity on the exchanges, lowered capital costs and therefore lower spreads, and most importantly, ease of transaction. Another angle which our April issue also explores is the unique benefits of investing in various ETF categories, large, small or mid-caps. Yes, and the Indian government is also making progress in relaxing red tape. And as Anil pointed out, the industry is expecting more ETF liquidity to follow through. Great. Well, thanks again um, for the interview, Piasi, And thanks to Anil Galani, Senior Vice President of DSP Mutual Fund, for speaking to Funds Europe from India. Thanks then to you, our journalists, um, for the news stories. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning into our first episode of the Funds Europe podcast. Be sure to tune in to our next episode when it arrives. I'm Nick. I'm Benjamin. I'm Lareb. And I'm Piasi.